is up, everyone? Another episode, yeah, full-length episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. Uh, I am back with episode 30, I don't even know, 30, so 31. Episode 31 of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast, and today we're talking about the Navy Advancement System. I I know I've been saying I'm going to do this for a while, and the reason it took so long is A, because I've been busy, (laughs) as always, and B, because... There's a lot that's changing, and literally, as I'm working on this outline, uh, it's been changing. So uh, there's been some NAV admins that have come out regarding stuff like the reporting seniors' cumulative average, which I'll talk about. Um, but there's been a, things changing as I've been working on it, and I had to do more research. And I kind of, and I'll talk about it. I kind of felt like I needed to spend more time on it so that I fully understood it before I started talking about it. And I, I'm even going to go so far as to say that, that I will probably misspeak or misquote or or do something in here and, and you guys will probably catch me on it, uh, which is good. And we'll talk about it and I'll make sure that I either update or post something or whatever to clarify that information. But uh, I, I felt a, a really large motivation to update it because the update to the system was so large and because this is so important you guys and what i'm also going to end up doing is uh replacing the audio file on the first episode so that there's not outdated information out there uh for for junior sailors just discovering the podcast but first if you guys need anything ever at all for any reason hit us up don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com you can instagram or you can dm us on instagram or you can facebook message us don't give up the shit podcast and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Uh, not, I don't have any deployments left. I will be going to see you one more time. Uh, and then pretty soon here in September, I'll be rolling to shore duty. Uh, so I'll be doing a lot of traveling, uh, and I will be, uh, underway, uh, on submarines for short periods of times doing inspections and stuff, but, uh, it shouldn't see a lot of breaks and I should have a lot of time to work on this stuff, which I'm really excited about. And the exposure that I'm going to get as I travel and and do all the things I'll be doing in my new job, I'm really excited about what I'll get out of that, the leadership lessons I'll get out of that. Uh, And I'm also working really hard towards finally finishing my chief of the boat qualifications. And I think a lot of the conversations uh, I'm actually going to meet uh, a friend of mine tomorrow uh, to talk about Cobb Qualls. And I think I'll learn a lot as I go through that process and I'll be able to share all those lessons learned as I go through. But again, uh, if you need anything us need anything from us, hit us up. Uh, and as always, finally, I'm super excited about the history topic. We're going to show a little love for the ladies this week. Uh, and we're going to talk about the first female chief. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the waves, which are the women authorized for voluntary emergency service. So that's what we're going to talk about for the history segment this week. And it's a long one, so stick with me or just fast forward through it if you don't want to listen to me drone on about history. All right, so first... Loretta Perfectus Walsh. Let's get into it. So the U.S. Naval Reserve Act of 1916 permitted the enlistment of qualified persons, quotation marks, for service in the Navy. When the Secretary of the Navy asked whether this applied only to males and was told that it did not, the Navy began enlisting women less than a month later. Historical records reflect that on March 17, 1917, the first woman to enlist in the Navy was Loretta Perfectus Walsh. She was born on April 22, 1896 in Philadelphia and thus had the distinction of being the first woman to serve in any of the U.S. armed forces in other than a nursing assignment. Until Walsh's enlistment, women had served as Navy nurses but were civilian employees with few benefits. Walsh, age 20, was enlisted on March 17, 1917 as a yeoman, 
all of whom were popularly referred to as Yomanets. During World War I, a reported 11,274 female yeomen served in the Navy. The yeoman women primarily served in clerical positions. They received the same benefits and responsibilities as men, including identical pay, $28.75 per month, and were treated as veterans after the war. On March 21, 1917, Walsh was sworn in as chief yeoman, becoming the first woman chief petty officer in the Navy. She served her active duty at the Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, and when World War I ended, Walsh and all the yeoman personnel were released from active duty. As Walsh had enlisted in the Naval Reserve for a four-year enlistment, she continued on inactive reserve status, receiving a modest retainer pay until the end of her enlistment on March 17, 1921. Walsh fell victim to influenza in the fall of 1918 and later contracted tuberculosis. She died on August 6, 1925 at the age of 29 in Oliphant, Pennsylvania. After her death, she was buried in Oliphant St. Patrick's Cemetery under a monument that reads, Loretta Perfectus Walsh, April 22, 1896 to August 6, 1925, woman and patriot, first of those who enrolled in the U.S. Naval Service, World War 1917-1919. Her comrades dedicate this monument to keep her alive forever, memories of the sacrifice and devotion of womanhood. In memory of Walsh and her bold actions, the official history program of the Department of the Navy identifies March 21, 1917 as a date in American naval history. Annually, in recognition of Walsh's historic service, a wreath-laying ceremony is held at her gravesite on this date. So now I'm going to talk about the waves or the women accepted for voluntary emergency service. So what are the waves and why should they be celebrated? If you are like most, many images come to mind, including actual waves of water. The quick answer is on 30 July 1942, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed Public Law 689, creating the Women's Reserve as an integral part of the Navy. So what do waves have to do with female naval reservists and why are they important? A more complete answer to these questions necessitates an explanation of their origin, which begins with World War I. Secretary of the Navy Josephus Daniels, Josephus? I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. Josephus Daniels sought additional workers after learning that the civil service could not meet the need for clerical support. Since the Naval Reserve Act of 1916 read that any U.S. citizen could join, Daniels recruited women. On 17 March 1917, Loretta Perfectus Walsh of Oliphant, Pennsylvania, distinguished herself as a first enlisted woman forever changing the Navy. More than 11,000 women joined her working in naval districts across the United States, particularly in Washington, D.C. Patriotism and hoping to end the war sooner were their primary motivations. They also thought their service would persuade President Woodrow Wilson to support the 19th Amendment. A male and a female in the same naval rank earning the same salary meant equal pay for equal work, which appealed to them. They volunteered to submit to the Navy rules and regulations 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and to be assigned wherever the Navy needed them for, needed them most for four years. After completing an application, an interview, a physical exam, and a business skills test, Qualified women took the oath. The shortage of clerical workers was so acute that many started their jobs the same day wearing their civilian clothes. Others went home to await their orders. The Navy recruited mothers and daughters, multiple sisters from one family, several sets of twins, and best friends from across the United States and its territories. The Navy had a few admitted... The Navy had a few administrative problems to address. For the first time, sailors' gender had to be indicated, so it classified these women as yeoman F for female. I didn't read the F during the Perfectus Walsh uh, 
piece because I knew it was coming. So sends the Bureau of Navigation, the branch of the Navy responsible for personnel, automatically assigned new sailors to ships. Women were assigned to sunken vessels, unused barges, or docked vessels. Men occupied most of the barracks, so women had to provide their own housing, commuting from home, renting a room in a house, or sharing an apartment. The Navy gave uh, female yeomen a daily subsistence allowance to cover their housing and meals. The Navy did not send them to Great Lakes Naval Training Station, but developed a night school for instruction in naval procedures and policies, ship and plane identification, ranks, culture, and customs. Women also mastered marching and drilling after work. Addie Worth Bagley, wife of Secretary of the Navy, started Yeoman Female Battalion to participate in parades and to greet returning ships. The female Yeoman eventually received their summer white and dark navy blue winter uniforms that covered them from head to toe. The female Yeoman contributed to the war effort in clerical and non-clerical specialties such as switchboard operators, stenographers, recruiters, deciphering code, painters, lookouts for naval bases, translators, and messengers. They dispersed pay, designed camouflage for ships, and produced munitions. As Secretary Daniels observed, they did everything except go to sea. They became so proficient in their jobs that one of them could replace two sailors for combat duty. A few supervisors rec- recommended them for officer ranks, but Daniels could not permit that without congressional approval. The women reservists encountered resentment from some individuals who questioned the character of any woman who enlisted, while other individuals believed women would render the Navy less efficient. The female yeoman also endured verbal insults and individuals published negative editorials questioning Daniel's decision to enlist women. The Navy stopped recruiting on 11 November 1918, but did not demobilize the female yeoman from active duty until 1920 because they had signed up for four years. Moreover, their supervisors urged Daniels to retain their talent after the war by hiring them for civilian positions doing the same job. Many welcomed the opportunity, and several later retired from the Navy Department. Some naysayers and some members of Congress did not be- believe another world war would erupt, and if it did, women would not be needed. Thus, they rewrote the Naval Reserve Act of 1916 to read that any male citizen could join. As a further insult, Congress and other military leaders tried to prevent women from eligibility for the World War I Victory Medal until advocates intervened. Nurses remained the only women in the Navy until 1942. As war became imminent, congressional and military leaders began making preparations. The War Manpower Commission reported that there were not enough men to support the Navy's need for personnel ashore and afloat. Surprising. U.S. Representative Edith Norse Rogers from Massachusetts was among them. During the previous war, she inspected field hospitals as part of the Women's Overseas Service League, served as a Red Cross nurse, and reported on the treatment of veterans. She decided then that if American women served in the military again, it would be as full-fledged members receiving the same entitlements as men. Rogers initially presented her sentiments to Secretary of War. The Army was first to respond. She co-sponsored the bill that Congress passed creating... The Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, or WAC, it's W-A-A-C, in late 1941, which became law on 12 May 1942. Rogers also approached the Chief of Naval Personnel, Chester W. Nimitz, who advised her that Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox would have to approve her recommendation. Others pressed Knox to confirm his intentions. Aware of the projected personnel shortages and Rogers' determination, Nimitz surveyed that the Navy Department Bureau Chiefs to determine how women could be utilized. He received the most positive response from the Chief of Naval Operations, the Bureau of Aeronautics and Naval Intelligence. Rear Admiral Randall Jacobs succeeded Nimitz and established the Women's Advisory Council, 
composed of women educators and naval officers to develop a program for women reservists. Knox insisted that if women were going to work with classified or sensitive information, they must be an integral part of the naval reserve, not an auxiliary of it. The council also recommended that women be formally indoctrinated to ensure that they knew naval terms, ranks, ships, aircraft, and customs. They proposed training officer candidates at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. After commissioning a sufficient number of officers, the enlisted recruits began their basic training in Norman, Oklahoma, Cedar Falls, Iowa, and Milledgeville, Georgia. The council recommended Mildred McAfee, president of Wellesley College, to serve as a director of the Women's Reserve. Despite the emerging need for personnel, congressional and naval leaders opposed women entering the military. Virginia Gildersleeve, a member of the council, recalled that now if the Navy could have used dogs or ducks or monkeys, certain of older admirals would probably have preferred them. As they continued planning, council member Elizabeth Reynard began hearing unsavory names for the women, i.e. sailorettes. This led to her create creating the official nickname of WAVES, an acronym for Women Accepted for Voluntary Emergency Service. She carefully selected her words to emphasize that they volunteered, and it was just for the duration of the war. McAfee benefited from the lessons learned by the WAC director. The Army's first uniforms did not allow for differences between women, men and women's builds, so they did not fit properly. However, Robert Maine Boucher, Boucher, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, designed the waves uniform that remains the basis for one worn by women in today's Navy. It was so attractive that some selected the Navy over other services. Eventually, Congress passed Public Law 689 to establish the Women's Reserve as an integral part of the Navy. They had to serve for the duration of the war plus six months. After the legislation sat for several days awaiting the president's signature, Dean Harriet Elliott, a council member, contacted First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Shortly afterwards, the president signed the bill into law, 30 July 1942. Mildred McAfee and her staff trained over 20,000 officers and 70,000 enlisted from urban and rural communities across socioeconomic backgrounds. They worked at large and small naval commands from Florida to Washington State and from California to Rhode Island as well as overseas. Their numerous and diverse contributions ranged from yeoman, chauffeur, and baker to pharmacist, artist, and aircraft mechanic. More than 30% of the waves worked as naval aviation training pilots, air traffic controllers, and parachute testers. They also excelled as weather specialists, chemists, and lawyers. World War II marked the Navy's first female doctor, lawyer, bacteriologist, and computer specialist. Grace Hopper helped develop the Mark I computer as a member of a team assigned to the Harvard University Computation Laboratory during World War II. Director McAfee received verbal and written praise for the critical support provided by the waves. On their first anniversary, President Roosevelt commented, In their first year, the waves have proved that they are capable of accepting the highest responsibility in the service of their country. A year later, Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Ernest J. King praised them. In addition to having earned an excellent reputation as part of the Navy, they have become an inspiration to all hands in the naval uniform. Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific, Admiral Nimitz, added, Although history records that women have had influence upon the navies, it is only recently that women have had influence within the navies. There were times during the war when recruiters could not meet the repeated requests for more waves. There are some significant similarities between the female yeoman and the waves. Both forever changed the status of military women. They volunteered. They were not drafted. They helped to dispel myths and stereotypes assigned to women in uniform. They enhanced the legacy of women who supported the nation during previous wars, conflicts, and crises and paved the way for those who followed. 
Before World War II ended on 2 September 1945 aboard the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay, naval and congressional leaders reflecting on the women's contribution considered granting them a permanent place in the peacetime services. After some debate and compromise, Congress passed the Women's Armed Forces Integration Act on 28 July 1948. That same year, President Harry S. Truman issued Executive Order 9981, mandating equality of treatment for all, regardless of race, creed, or color. Another similarity is that women of color made up less than a fraction of 1% of the total number of female reservists. There were 14 African-American female yeomen among the 11,275 and two officers and 70 enlisted waves among the 90,000. During both global wars to protect and defend democratic freedoms and values, the Navy reluctantly recruited black women and did so late in the war. The Navy enlisted Japanese, Hispanic, and Native American women before African Americans. Despite the demand for more reservists, the Navy did not make maximum use of all available women. The brief history explains the origins of the waves and the significance of their war service. If given the opportunity, tell others about them. Military personnel and society at large need to know about these outstanding women to better appreciate the opportunities available to women today and the costs of the freedoms they enjoy. All ratings and specialties are open to all qualified women. The female yeoman and the waves epitomize the Navy's core values of honor, courage, and commitment long before they were adopted. That's it for the history segment. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, I got excited about it, and I've been sitting on it for a while because it's taken me a while to finish this outline. But that's what we're doing. So we're talking about Navy advancements. So let's get into it. Uh, got a lot to talk about. A lot has changed. Uh, I'm gonna kind of go over some of the some of the stuff I went over previously, but uh, just understand that the focus is the stuff that has changed, and that's the stuff that you need to be focused on because you control your advancement. Right, not quotas, not tests. You control your advancement, and I say it all the time. And I know it's frustrating. And and it, people people that I talk to about this think that I don't understand. It's frustrating. Let me tell you how much I understand that it's frustrating. Master Chief results came out today. My first year eligible for Master Chief, there were zero quotas. Talking to the people in my community next year, there will probably be zero quotas. That's not stopping me from pursuing advancement. But just understand that I understand what I'm saying. You control your advancement. You do. You might have to wait a while because the system's not perfect, like me. Okay, I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm not going to get looked at this year or next year, probably. Uh, that's not official yet, but like this year it is. <laughs> so I, I know that, but that doesn't mean I can't do a ton of things that I can control to set myself up for the year that I am eligible to be undeniable. That's what you control. That's what you control. You control your advancement. Okay, you have control over all these things. Like I'm still working towards qualifying cop, and I'm still working towards all these other things. I'm gonna finish my bachelor's degree when I get on shore duty. I'm never gonna stop ever. And it's not just at this point. I mean, I'm an old man, and I'm almost done. But for for you all that still have a lot of steps to step through, you have a lot of control over your advancement, and you have to exercise it, right? So the Navy advancement system is a system. It's based on numbers and math. People are crunching numbers at the Navy Advancement Center and using spreadsheets and stuff. So it's a system that it, it's easily understood if you get in the books and, and you do the research. And if junior sailors take the time to do that research and understand it, you can leverage that system for their sailors and for themselves, right? You can leverage this system because that's all it is, is a construct based on numbers and math for your own advancement, for your sailors advancement. But you need to understand the system to do that. Okay. So 
There was a large update to the Navy Advancement Program, and you need to study it and be intimately familiar with it. Your sailor's professional development and career progression depends on it. It's incredibly important that you understand these changes and take the time to ask questions and get clarification. When I did the original Advancement episode, I had done literally years of my own research for my for my own understanding of it because I was really frustrated with my lack of understanding and that I didn't feel like I had control, so I wanted to get control, and when I asked questions, I wasn't getting any answers because no one else understood it either. So years of research and hands-on experience, and then with the ways that it changed, I feel like I have zero. I, I read the references and I used my past experience as context to understand it. So as I go through all this new information, A, if I'm wrong, please tell me, okay? I'm sure there's an ESO out there in the audience that may catch me slipping, okay? And that's fine. I'm completely open to the feedback. But also, if you don't understand something that I'm talking about or you experience uh, something and it doesn't go as I read it or as it reads in the book, ask questions. Ask those questions and get the clarification that you need. Talk to your ESO, talk to your chain of command, and just keep going until you get the answer that you need. If you need help from me, hit us up. All right, and I'll do the best I possibly can. All right, so where do we always start? The reference, okay? You always start here, always, always, always. Review the advancement manual. There's an update. Uh, So it's Buper's Instruction 1430.16 series. The most recent revision is golf. The best place to find that to make sure you're getting the most up-to-date references is the Navy Personnel Command website, references, and then go to the applicable OPNAV, Buper's instruction, whatever, find the find the number, and it'll have the most up-to-date reference there. So review the advancement manual, go line by line through it. It's a, it's a big book. A lot of it probably won't directly apply to you. It's good to familiarize yourself. I'm looking at you, Chiefs, with everything, okay? Because you're, eventually you're probably going to encounter the majority of the scenarios in there. Not all of them, but, but most of them. So at least scan through it. If, if it's obviously something that is very rarely going to apply, at least you know it's there and you know where to look, right? But just be familiar with the manual. Go line by line through the stuff that is the routine every day or well, I mean every six months, uh, as it were. <laughs> uh, and like the map programs in there, all the Navy promotion stuff from E1 to E6, right? Um, special circumstances, missed exams, you name it. It's all in there. Even like what they review at the Chiefs board, which is based on like based on how surprised people are when I tell them what the board can see when we have those conversations. It That like based on how surprised these people are, and I'm talking like senior people don't know what the board can see. That tells me how seldom this reference is studied. There is a huge knowledge gap here, like Navy-wide. So many sailors rely on tribal knowledge passed down by like some salty E4 or some guy on the deck plate that knows how things work, right? Wink. Uh, and a laughable amount of this tribal knowledge is ridiculous and false. So review the reference, ask questions, and be informed. If you If you don't know, ask the question you'll get pointed in the right direction if you don't get beat over the head with the reference and then study the reference and it it can be dry yes i i'm not a I, it's not my favorite thing to do to comb through the abupers instruction line by line which is another reason why it probably took me so long to make this outline but it's something that you need to do uh and if nothing else re- listen to this podcast and you'll get the large chunks of it and then you just got to go f- plug the gaps right there are charts you'll have to look at there's math you'll have to do to make sure you're as prepared as you can be but it's pretty simple stuff and it's a big deal. All right. So on top of every reference, there's always amplifying information or instructions, right? So advancement exams have timelines and they're administered twice per year in March and September with the exception of the chief's exam, which is conducted in January. 
The timeline is released in a nav admin. So go find the nav admin that applies to your exam cycle. There's a lot of information in that nav admin. One of them is the timeline. Another one is the range of dates that are the evals you'll consider. So it'll give you a range of dates and say for this advancement cycle, you'll consider these evals. And so whatever evals you have that fall within that range of dates, those are the promotion ratings that you use to calculate your individual trade average, which I'll talk about later. There's a lot of just really, really great information in those, in those nav admins. So why why is that calculation important, right? The, the performance mark average, you, you calculate all that to get your individual trade average that converts into points, right? When you look at, there's a chart in the book, in the uh, advancement manual, and there's also one that uh, was shared on Facebook by the Navy Advancement Center that tells you how to calculate your final multiple score. So when you plug your scores into those formulas, points, right? All the points that we stress out about, and do am I gonna have enough points to exceed the final required multiple and make rank? That's how you can do this, right? If you know how to find all those PMAs for the evals to calculate your individual trade average and then plug it in the formula and do the math, you can make sure, like you can know every single point that you're gonna have before the exam happens except for your exam score. So you know, I can only get an 80 on the exam. What do I gotta score? It gives you a goal, it gives you something realistic to work towards. Also, it'll have changes in it. The nav admin, if something changes, it'll be in that nav admin. If something in the advancement manual, like it says something in the advancement manual and then they change it, but they haven't updated the manual yet, it'll be in the nav admin and that nav admin will supersede what it says in the advancement manual. I know that seems convoluted, but that's how the changes happen. Before they do a full on revision of the book, the changes will be in the nav admin that comes out for that Navy advancement exam. So make sure you review it in its entirety. It's usually only a couple pages long. It's not that hard. Go through it, highlight it, hang it up at your desk. Things are always changing as we've as we've seen, right? A lot is changing right now and I'm about to go through it all and your head's gonna spin just like mine did. So things are always changing and although you may have completed step one by going line by line through the book, you need the latest and greatest information to make sure you're doing the right things and that you stay eligible for the exam and informed. So make sure you read the nav admin along with this I strongly recommend you to follow Navy Advancement Center on Facebook and other social media platforms. They share a lot of really, really great information, really useful information, and then anytime there's a change or an update, you're gonna see it there first. So I highly recommend following those. There's also a, the Navy App Locker. Check that out. There's a lot of really great tools there. You can get your bibliographies. Gives you a lot of great data on, on anything, not just the Navy Advancement stuff, but I mean, uniforms, instructions. You, there's a app that will alert you when new nav admins get released. Like there's a lot of really great things. I'm going to do an entire episode on the Navy app locker coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. So next profile sheets and final multiple score. So I've kind of talked about this a little bit just a minute ago, but there are several blocks on your profile sheet. All right. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about an update at the end here, but the profile sheet as it exists for the next five minutes <laughs> is First, you have your test score. It's an exam standard score. This is based on a maximum point value of 80, which I said earlier, and it's graded on a curve. And what this means is that you're not graded simply on how many questions you answer correctly, but on how many more you answered correctly than everyone else. So to get an 80, you don't have to answer them all right. You just gotta be smarter than everyone else that took the test in your competitive group, okay? So the next is your performance mark average or your PMA. This is converted to a point value based on a formula for each exam pay grade for E4, E5, and E6. And E6, 
asterisk. I'm going to talk about the RSCA or the reporting seniors cumulative average in a little bit, but just stay with me. So you can view these formulas on the final multiple score calculation charts. Uh, they're available uh, in the Navy Advancement Manual. I've got them in the outline that I'll upload onto the website. And then uh, you'll, you can also get them on Facebook at Navy Advancement Center. Uh, so the formulas in the advancement manual are updated with the exception of the reporting senior cumulative average. That was part of a nav admin, but moving on. So the next uh, is time and rate whose formula is on the same chart. Uh, it's a simple calculation uh, and that's just the amount of time you've been in your current pay grade. You get some points for that. Award points are based on a chart available in the advancement manuals table three tech one. I also have it in the outline if you want to check it out. Uh, and then the most significant points you will commonly see for awards are flag letters, which there you get one point for each with a limit of two. Navy achievement medals, you get two points for. Navy commendation medals, you get three points. And then uh, good conduct medals no longer uh, give you any points. All right. So next up is past but not advanced points or PNA points. Uh, you'll see those. The Navy will award the top 25% in the standard score for the exam PNA points. Um, and they can accumulate for up to five cycles. And then education points are the last one. So if you have an education, two points for an associate's degree, four points for a bachelor's degree, that hasn't changed. Uh, so for the advancement exam worksheets, there is an update that came out that is not what's in the advancement manual. All right. So again, with the nav admins, right? So nav admin 316 slash 18 uh, is about enlisted advancement worksheets being piloted on INSEPs. So we're going electronic in June 2019 and the data will populate from INCEPS. So what does that mean? You got to make sure INCEPS is correct and then your profile sheet will be correct. So there will be no more like filling it out as you go and correcting it or not correcting it or having all the drama where you're stressing out that it's not going to be correct and then you got to go back and correct it later and then maybe you don't get the help you need and blah, 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 right? NCEPS is going to populate everything. You're going to go on NCEPS way ahead of time and say, hey, that's my data. It's all correct or it's not correct. And go talk to your personnel folks and you'll have a lot of more time to fix it. Right. But again, ahead of time, if you just make sure every time you get an award, every time you get a degree, every time you get anything that attributes to your points on your uh, on your worksheet, go into NCEPS consistently and like on a regular basis and validate that information ahead of time so that there's less of an uphill battle when it comes time to review your worksheet. You just go in with the confidence that my record's up to date. Everything on my uh, enlisted advancement worksheet is going to be correct and it's good to go. And then you just go in and click validate and it's it's easy day, right? So that's coming uh, basically after like the, the upcoming exams and it, it it outlines it in the nav admin but as as of june 19 they're going to start piloting it and then it's going to become standard next year all right eligibility requirements for advancement let's talk about some of them because there's a lot of them but some uh main eligibility requirements uh remain a mystery to sailors in general right and, and their time and rate uh advancement recommendations and higher tenure those are kind of like the the big three not a lot of people fully understand them right so the first one's really simple in order to be eligible for the next pay grade you must complete a minimum amount of time uh, in your current pay grade first to meet that time and rate requirement i know everybody's heard the terminology time and rate i just want to make sure, sure you actually understand what it means so Time and rate, it's abbreviated TIR. Uh, this date can be found in INCEPS or your electronic training jacket, PSR, fleet temps. There's a lot of places you can locate it. It'll say time and rate and it'll give you that date. In the NAV admin released for your exam cycle and in the Navy Advancement Manual in Table 2, TAC 2, is called what's called a terminal eligibility date. There's like a table and it tells you what the terminal eligibility date is for the exam that you're taking. So it'll list a date. 
And what it means is from your time and rate date, so you're calculating it with your time and rate date being your starting point, you have to have the minimum required time in your current pay grade on or before the exam's terminal eligibility date. So basically your starting point is your time and rate date. And before the terminal eligibility date for the exam you're taking, you have to have the minimum amount of time and rate to be eligible for the exam. So if you're taking an exam in March 2019, your terminal eligibility date would be 1 July 2019. So on or before 1 July 2019, you have to have the minimum time and rate required for the next pay grade to be eligible, right? So let's say you're taking the E5 exam, right? You have to, whatever the minimum required time and rate is from E4 to E5, which is 12 months, before 1 July 2019, you would have to have 12 months of time and rate. So whatever your time and rate date is displayed in INSEPS or wherever you get your electronic train jacket or wherever you get it from, you have to have 12 months of time and rate on or before 1 July 2019. If you do, you're time and rate eligible, okay? So the minimum times for each pay grade are nine months from E1 to E2, nine months from E2 to E3. These promotions are automatic generally. There are some times where a request should or some other administrative action is required, but generally automatic. Six months from E3 to E4, 12 months from E4 to E5, and three six months from E5 to E6 and E6 to E7, E7 to E8, and E8 to E9. EP time and rate waivers apply for exams only from E5 to E6, waiving up to one year at CO's discretion for sailors who receive an early promotion on their most recent periodic evaluation. Uh, it'll apply to time and rate for eligibility from E6 to E7, right? They're just talking about the exams here. So you actually have to be recommended for advancement by your commanding officer or reporting senior, and that's something that they exercise control over. And there's provisions inside the advancement manual on the when they can remove it or suspend it or whatever, but you just understand you have to be recommended for advancement in order to be eligible uh, for, to take the exam. And then the last is higher tenure. So it's based on Milpersman article 1160 TAC120. Uh, higher tenure is the maximum number of years you can remain on active duty in your current pay grade. So the higher tenure limitations are E1 to E2, four years, uh, E3, six years, E4, 10 years, E5, 16 years, E6, 22, E7, 24, E8, 26, and then E9, 30. And there's some follow-on ones for E9 that probably aren't important to almost anyone that's listening, but so basically if you're, if you're beyond your higher tenure date, uh, and the first day of your advancement cycle, and in that Millipers man article, there's a table telling you what the cycle is, then you're not eligible for advancement. Um, so you have to be within your higher tenure restrictions in order to take the exam. So that's the kind of like the basic eligibility requirements. There are a bunch more. I just wanted to cover those big ones to kind of shine a light on those, but there's a bunch more and a lot of them are specific. There's some that are specific to certain ratings and communities, right? There's a lot that I'm I'm kind of aware of as a former career counselor and being a submariner for uh, nuclear ratings. Uh, some people have to have su certain supervisor NECs to advance. Some people have to do certain qualifications to advance. Uh, there are a lot of for like Navy divers, CTs, a bunch of a bunch of different communities and ratings that are very specific. So get in that book if you think those apply to you or you've heard that those may apply to you or you're not sure and just review them. If not for you, for the sailors that work for you, you may have the, have those sailors working for you in the future and you need to be aware of them. Uh, or you may be an ESO and you may be the one responsible for ordering their exams and making sure that they're eligible. So be aware that there are very, very specific uh, 
eligibility requirements. A lot of them are called out in the nav admins as well uh, in more specific detail or if there are any changes to them. Um, but there are like specific requirements, even just like the you have to go to the senior enlisted academy to make mass chief. Right. And so there's a lot. So get in there, make sure that you've reviewed the specific community ones. Uh, rating eligibility one stuff like that especially if they apply to you make sure you understand how they apply to you and the things that you need to do to make sure you stay eligible for the exam uh, so an, so a new thing that I want to go over uh, so that everyone understands it and I know you've probably heard of it is the PMK EE exam right so that's kind of like hot off the presses sort of um, the Navy removed what we used to call basic military requirements or BMR uh, they took all those questions off your exam so now when you sit down and take an advancement exam, all you're going to see is in-rate level of knowledge. So you should see that as well on your bibliographies when you're doing your studying. Um, but the way that the that they're testing that knowledge now is what's called a Professional Military Knowledge Enlisted Examination, or PMKEE, for E4 to E7. So you can access it via My Navy Portal, and you can only... And you only have to complete it once for each pay grade. So what that means is you take it, you pass it once for the pay grade that you're trying to attain, and then that's it. You don't have to take it again until you make rank. Then for that next pay grade that you're going to become eligible for, you can take it and, and keep it moving, right? So you're going to take it one time for each pay grade. It's modeled similarly to the PPME courses you used to see on NKO, uh, but it's not as long. It's 100 questions, and you need to score a minimum score of 80 or higher to pass. Uh, so let's talk about some more changes. Uh, so final multiple score computation. So that was the the big thing that I, I advocated for last time is understanding how your final multiple score is computed so that you can project it. Basically, you can attack the weak areas. You'll understand how the math is computed and the control that you have over it as a result of that. Um, so some of that has changed. And the table was updated to reflect that. I have that in the outline. It's on Navy Advancement Center's Facebook page. It's in the Navy Advancement Manual and is up to date with the exception of the reporting seniors cumulative average stuff. If you want to see the updated table, go to the Navy Advancement Center's Facebook page. It's on there. It's in color. It's great. It's also in the outline. Uh, so the final multiple score, score computation, uh, it was updated for education points, IA points, as well as new calculations for the evaluation points. Uh, service and pay grade and PA points. This is all really important math that you should know. You should be aware of this table and you should be crunching these numbers for your upcoming exam so that you understand that. I mean, this thing should be hanging up in your room and have a special place in your study binder. Know what gets you promoted and how. This details it in very simple terms. It's just a formula you plug very easy to attain numbers into. Uh, it's incredibly important that you do this before you take the exam utilizing your past profile sheet if you have one unless this is your first time taking one which you wouldn't uh, this way you'll know exactly how many points you'll have going into the exam except for your exam right except for your exam standard score and that way you'll know uh, where you aren't maxed out so you can work on those weaknesses because again like I keep saying over and over again you have tons of control over your advancement so if you see that especially on a, on a profile sheet it compares you to like the, the mean average of everyone else so it'll tell you like how many people the average of the people that got advanced like how many award points did they have how long were they in their current pay grade how what was their average eval so you can go about attacking the task of not being average of being far above average so that you're you're killing it in all those categories going into your exam so that you understand hey like all all i got to do now is is kill this exam and it's an easy day right and and it's not nothing there's nothing saying that this information isn't secret right if you've never taken a navy advancement exam ever you're about to take your first e4 exam go talk to somebody 
right? That's in your in your competitive group and say, hey, can I see your last E4 exam uh, profile sheet so that I can compare myself to the group that got advanced last cycle and kind of figure out, okay, the average of the candidates that got advanced and see where my weak areas are and use this chart to do the math, right? So that you understand like, hey, if I have these things, I do the math, this, these are the points I'm going to have. So this based on my comparison, I can kind of, you know, get an idea of what I'm what I'm up against. Right. Don't let those things discourage you if you have no control over them, though. Right. So like juniors personnel in the Navy, you're not going to have a lot of award points. And maybe some people that got advanced did. Maybe the average of the candidates that got advanced, uh, especially if you're an early <laughs> an early sailor, like if you're advancing early and you're competing against a group of far senior, like as far as time in the Navy sailors go it's going to be more difficult, right? You're going to compare yourself to a group of people with more time in, in grade, with more award points, and that's okay, right? Control what you can control. You can control your evaluation. You can kind of control awards a little bit, right? Your your performance is your performance. You just give everything you got and you will be recognized at some point. But you control that eval, you control that exam standard score. Those are the two hugest contributors to your advancement and the two things that you have complete control over. All right. So let's talk about the reporting senior cumulative average, okay? So if you look at the final multiple score chart, it's got computations for what we were used to seeing, if you've done this before, is the PMA, you average them, you multiply it by some numbers, and you get the number of points you're gonna get for PMA, right? For E6 and E7, you have now have what's called reporting seniors cumulative average, or RSCA, okay? So the reporting seniors cumulative average it got the it got released in NAV admin 312/18. Okay, it's got all the data regarding the new RSCA. Uh, the math is there and it's kind of complicated but the explanation is is pretty simple. So individual trade average or ITA and reporting senior cumulative average RSCA will be used to determine RSCA PMA or for performance mark average for sailors competing for advancement for E6 and E7. This change is intended to reward our most talented sailors who display sustained superior performance. So let me decrypt that for you because it's kind of vague. What I get out of it is they're trying to balance out the hit a sailor takes when they get that welcome aboard P, right? So if you get a couple of strong EP evals as like a hot running E5, right? And then you go to a new command and you get that welcome aboard P, right? You crushed it and you're still performing at a high level, right? Generally, when I would write those PE valves, if if I was in that position, I would write, you know, like all about how great they are in block 43, right? Their, their performance didn't dip. It's just where they shook out against the competitive group because they were maybe they were only on board for four months, right? Like I can't I can't give them an early promote if they've only been on board for four months unless they saved a bus full of nuns on their way to work or something, right? So uh, basically what it does is you look at the range of dates and then nav admin, right? You figure out what evals apply. And if you've got EP, EP, and then P, the scores you get for your EP, EP, you'll have a reporting seniors cumulative average, which is just the cumulative average of that competitive group. If your individual trade average, ITA, exceeds the reporting seniors cumulative average, RSCA, there's a table in that nav admin that tells you you will add this many points to your PMA for that eval. So if you had, say, a 4.8 and the reporting seniors cumulative average is a 4.2 or something, it'll give you a, a, a little range. That 4.8 falls in there somewhere and it'll say add 0.5 or something like that, right? Look at the table, it'll give you the exact number. And basically what that does for those two strong EP evals, you get like extra credit essentially to offset the hit of that 
welcome aboard P, right? So basically sustained superior performance, even though you only get that welcome aboard P, it like it balances it out because you did so well on those previous EPs. Like, I hope that makes sense. It's basically, uh, it's balancing it out so that sustained superior performance is rewarded instead of uh, potentially just based on timing, you not getting as many points towards PMA as you should because over that entire span, you were a sustained superior performer. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, reach out to me and we can talk about it. Uh, like the way that it's worded in the nav admin is very vague and just by reading it and kind of going over in my head, that's what I deducted from it. If you have more information about it, please reach out to me uh, and, and maybe I can help decrypted a little better uh in some correspondence with you guys but that's what i got out of it i, I mean it, it makes sense to me what they were trying to accomplish they were they were trying to fix that so that you guys aren't taking hits for no reason all right navy leadership development course completion uh it's in chapter two of the navy advanced manual that, that came out so i got really excited when i first saw this stuff uh about basically at all levels prior to frocking the leadership development courses are mandatory now so there's you know po3 po2 po1 and then cpo uh leadership development leadership like perspective chief petty officer leadership course whatever they're gonna rename it right after i say this but they're all mandatory prior to frocking right the chief one was already mandatory and i mean i'd have to go back and look at the old manual but i used to get told all the time that only e4 was man mandatory previously i can't remember but that's what I had saw happen at, at multiple commands was only E4, right? So they're all mandatory now. It's in writing. It's got to be in fleet temps. And the only way you can get a waiver from that requirement is from your ISIC. Uh, so immediate superior in chain of command, just or, or immediate superior in command is what that acronym means. But uh, it's basically like the next echelon up command from like a, 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 a ship unit, whatever. So it's encouraging that they made that a requirement because that means they think it's important. But what I kind of was discouraged by was it's all still command delivered courses. And I know what a lot of you see is if it happens, it, it gets low balled. Um, it just gets entered into fleet temps without ever even talking about it sometimes at bad commands. So, I mean, it is what it is. They made it mandatory. The people, you know, in the ivory tower writing the instruction thought about it put the requirement in there. It's a, it's a baby step in the right direction. I'll take it. <laughs> Small victories. So that's now mandatory every level. So anytime anybody's frocked E4, E5, E6, E7, there is a mandatory command delivered leadership development course that needs to be completed and entered into fleet temps. And then for Master Chiefs, SEA, okay? Senior Enlisted Academy is a requirement as well. So baby steps. So now let's talk about what's called exception to policy. I thought there was some interesting stuff in this section of the advanced manual, uh, and I thought it was worth relaying. So uh, exception to policies is uh, COs and OICs may request an exception to policy for candidates as set forth in this manual. All ETP requests must be sent to director of military personnel plans and policy N13 and include an endorsement from the command's immediate superior in command. That's that ISIC acronym I was talking about earlier. Examples of reasons for requesting an ETP include inability to participate in an advancement exam, mishandled or lost completed answer sheets, not properly validated for a time and rate waiver, not properly validated for selection board consideration, and posthumous advancement. Uh, another more example, standard score comparison ETPs must be submitted no later than six months after the missed exam's limiting date. Uh, some refer to stuff. Uh, 
Any standard score comparison requests submitted later than six months after a missed exam's limiting date must go through a BCNR or Bureau for Correction Naval Records. Check out our episode on that if you need more details. Uh, E7 Navy-wide advancement exam ETP requests must be received three weeks prior to regularly scheduled E7 selection board convening. Uh, submit ETP requests along with an endorsement letter by the command ZISIC to the director, military personnel plans and policy N13, 701 South Courthouse Road, Arlington, Virginia, 22204, using the format and figure one tech one. Requests must include a completed and signed DD Form 149 in the ETP package in case the request cannot be completed by N13 and the request must be adjudicated by BCNR. Again, refer to our episode for more details on BCNRs. So that was interesting because basically what it's saying is there's a they invented a process so that uh, you could adjudicate issues specifically relating to Navy advancement at a lower level than BCNR. It should take less time, hopefully. Uh, and and basically because a lot of BCNRs revolve around advancement. Uh, and so, Rusty, I'm looking at you. Take a look at this one, especially A, where it's talking about the selection board consideration stuff. This may be uh, the answer to your problem, and I'll email you about that. But there's that. So uh, ETP, I thought, was very interesting, uh, exception of policy process so that you can adjudicate advancement exam issues, uh, especially missed exams for no fault of their own, right? But uh, moving on. So calculator usage, I thought this one was awesome. I'm gonna talk about it because I'm a culinary specialist and I've heard people getting jacked up for calculators. So this one is awesome uh, for me because for cooks, there are generally about 25 math questions that cannot be reasonably solved uh, unless you're Rain Man. Uh, So, I mean, it's simple math, but you need a calculator for it. Uh, and, and especially with the time constraints. So uh, without a calculator, it's very, very hard in the amount of time provided to do this simple math with a, a scientific calculator. So I've heard stories about sailors having those issues, having them taken away by proctors because they weren't allowed. It's clearly stated and delineated that anyone can have a calculator so long as it conforms to the rules set forth in the manual, most of which are aimed at preventing cheating. So make sure you take a look at that. There's obviously calculators that are basically computers that you could house a bunch of data in and you, it could facilitate cheating. So basic, simple scientific calculators. If you're worried about it, print that page out, highlight it and put it in your pocket. Uh, and you know they can't really tell you you can't have a calculator. So just make sure it's the ones that conform to the manual. All right. So a lot of information. What does it all mean? Okay, so I put out a whole bunch of information. A lot of it is stuff that has changed. Things will continue changing with the Sailor 2025 initiative and all the stuff that they're doing with uh, rating modernization and blah, 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 right? There's a lot of stuff changing. One, keep abreast of all the information that's coming out, okay? Use all the tools you have uh, available to you. The next episode will be on the Navy App Locker, which is a, a, a really great attempt. It's not all user-friendly, but it's a great attempt at using your smartphones that are extensions of your hands nowadays to communicate that data to you so that it's very easy to access and so that you can't really have an excuse to not be informed. So they're working on that and I'm going to try to decrypt it all and make it a little more user-friendly in the next episode. But your control over this process can't be overstated. It, 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 it feels like junior sailors think that a fairy sprinkles magic advancement dust over the exams and wherever it lands, it lands and those sailors advance. It's not true. And I, I feel like I just spent a long period of time explaining that. If you need me to explain it more, hit me up. But what I really, really want you to understand is how much control you have over this process. Go back to the final multiple score calculation sheet and what I just explained. Maximum points allowed for E4 and E5 is 177. E6 is 230. E7 is 200. That's 45%, 35%, and 40%. 
Let's move on to evals. That's your exam. That's the amount of control you have over your advancement just by your exam. Four, five percent, three, five percent, four, zero percent. Now let evals, PMA, three, six percent, five, zero percent, six, zero percent. Add that up. E4 and E5, eight, one percent. E6, eight, five percent. E7, one hundred percent. That's how much control you have over advancement. Obviously, it's E7 eligibility. I know. <laughs> the selection board is the selection board. But you still think you have no control? 8, 1%, 8, 5%, or 100%? I got statistics. <laughs> you have a ton of control over your advancement. We hear all the excuses. The creativity held by our junior sales can muster. It's a popularity contest. My rate's locked up. The exam's too hard. Not applicable. Blah, blah, blah. Stop it. You have control over your advancement. Exercise it. You have the most control over your exam score. Open up that bibliography on your smartphone and the subtopics and start studying. Stop making excuses and devote that energy to controlling your own advancement. And I won't belabor the evals point because I already did in an episode, right? You have control over that as well, albeit not as much as you do the exam, but you do. But put in the work and the EP evals come. I guarantee it. It happens. It doesn't, and you don't got to preach to me. You're preaching to the choir if you're saying that like, you know, EPs and all that crap can be a popularity contest. I don't care what anybody says. Every command I've been at as a cook, I've been at a disadvantage when competitively ranked against other sales. It, It just, it is what it is. But it didn't stop me and I don't plan on allowing it to stop me going forward. I'm gonna get looked at silly and underestimated if I go the chief of the boat route. Still doing it. I bet you I'm still a command master chief someday. Who, like, who is stopping you? No one except yourself, right? So get out of your own way. Take advantage of this process. Understand the construct. Understand the system. It's numbers, math, quotas. It's all it is. And leverage it. Leverage it not just for yourself and your own career progression, but for your sailors. And then do the real math. How important is it to you and your sailors that you understand this process? Go and ask them what's important to them. What's important to you? Self-actualization. They may not be able to understand it or articulate it in those words, but look up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not an original idea. I didn't invent it. Understand what your sailors need and what they don't need. They don't necessarily need money or rank, but they do need self-actualization. They do need to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. They do need all that hard work and energy and effort validated. They need to feel valued, and so do you. So it's conclusion time. So we talked about the system and the instructions that govern the Navy advancement system. We broke down the formula that adds up to your advancement, and we talked about why it's important that you understand it and just how important it actually is, right? Navy advancement system is a system. It's based on numbers and math. It's a system that is easily understood if junior sailors take the time to research it, understand it, and to leverage it, not just for themselves, but for their own sailors' advancement, right? It's something that's too important not to understand. Again, not because it's how you get a shiny patch or a star on your anchor and some more money in your pocket, but because sailors build it up in their minds. They put so much stock in it. Sometimes they tie their identities to it. It's self-actualization. They assign personal value to it. It's that important. It's that important to you and them. 
it's that important to me. I love saying it that it's not. I like I really do. And I and I try to take some like moral high road and and be selfless and say that as a chief and a leader that it's not about me and that rank doesn't matter to me. And and one of the sayings that I used to toss around all the time when I was a chief, especially as a senior enlisted leader when I was still a chief, is I've never needed a star to get anything done. I'd get fired up, right? And I was like I'm going to go get after it and go talk to some sergeant major or something and and I don't need a star, right? They're not going to they're not going to discount me, right? And then I got it done. Because it's true, I didn't need one to get it done. But it felt really good when I got one. It feels like all the things I did leading up to that point were correct, and they got validated. And while it's not necessary for me to continue doing those things, it feels really good. And it's motivating to continue doing those things. It'll push me to do even more, and it will open up new doors for me to do more. And while I've never needed a star to get anything done, I do need one to get to the levels that I want to be at to affect more sailors. I can't be a chief of the boat without a star over my anchor. It's it's in the rule book. I can't be a command master chief without two stars above my anchors. It's in the rule book. So it's not that, you know, it's not an ego stroke, but it is important. It's important. Take the time to treat it as important as it is. Uh, that's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys need anything from me, uh, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us at don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram at DGUS podcast. Any feedback comments, tell me I screwed something up, which probably happened. Uh, any amplifying data that I can share on the social media platforms, whatever, or questions of clarification, uh, just hit us up, ask the questions. I'll get you, get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.